This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. This Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the Freedom's Disciple podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Dunn. This is one of the only shows on the Blaze and if not many other networks where an outsider comes and weekly for free and tells you how great you are how exceptional you are and talks about your history i have a really jam-packed show for you today i have a lot of things i want to discuss with you but a couple of announcements just before we get into the to the nitty-gritty and the the hard work of today's show um i'm really excited i'm i've i've been talking to you for a couple of months now about some new segments and some new ideas that i've planned and i'm, I'm going to start sharing them with you um, I have a new segment starting today, and it's going to be to at the the last segment of each show going forward, and it's something I'm excited about because I think it's something that we all need to discuss, and I'll tell you more about that later on in the show. Second part of business, I know some people have said to me in the past they love the show boards. Um, this is where I do I work with whiteboards. Um, I think it's something about when you work with Glenn Beck, it's, you have to write things on chalkboards. I, I work on whiteboards. I literally stand at my whiteboard and just write out notes for myself and go, what do I want to talk about? Or if I hear a question that was posed by someone that I listen to or I write, and I kind of go, you know what, I actually really like that question. I want to address that on the show. And I, I then, as I'm going through each segment, will will write down notes and go, this is the way I want things to flow. Because I like to have, I don't know whether you guys get this or not, but when I do my show, I like to tie everything in together. I don't like to be talking about, I don't know, abortion in the first segment, then tax policy on the second, and foreign policy on the third. I kind of like to have a team running through, so it makes it easier for you to, to, to follow along. But each Saturday, this show gets released at noon Eastern. If you go to my Twitter, at Freedom Disciple, I'm going to put up a tweet the minute the show is launched with all the show boards. And it, instead of originally just being um, a show board just for one board with the whole show, I'm actually breaking it down into segments so that you can follow along and kind of go, where is John going with this thinking? Now, they are rough notes. They're not sentences. They're just rough notes for me to follow along with i hope that makes the 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 the, listening to this show a bit easier and it helps you to play along so where do we start today well i want to talk to you today about 
I want to talk to you today about Thanksgiving. I want to talk to you about my new segment that we have planned. That's in segment four of the show. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you about how we think. Because you might have heard me say this over the last six, seven months. This election kind of freaked me out with how people responded to me. And I'm going to start with a bit of fun before we get to the, the, the serious stuff. I've been back officially a week now. I've been back online. Um, I post a lot of stuff on Twitter, at Freedom Disciple, on Facebook. I tend to use, everything I post is on Freedom's Disciple, but if you look me up, Jonathan Dunn, you can send me a friend request. I post a lot of stuff during, my, during the week of my thoughts. And I've been back posting, I've been doing Facebook Live videos, talking about different issues. Check them out if you like them. But I've been back a week and as of yet, now I'm probably going to put a jinx on this, but as of yet, I've had no death threats. I've had no threats to of people who are going to take me up and beat me up. I've not been called an enemy of anybody. I haven't had anyone message me privately and say, you're a liar, you're a sellout, you're a phony, or a cheat. I haven't even had the insult that I get all the time of, well, how much is Glenn Beck paying you to say what you're saying right now? I haven't changed. I'm still talking about the same values and principles. I'm talking about America being an idea. I'm talking about American exceptionalism. I'm talking about the Constitution. And I'm promoting your values. And that is what I do at this podcast. I'm still the same. I haven't changed. Yet all the hate has. So what has changed that I don't get any hate anymore? That's something for you all to think about. And the reason I say that is because I think right now we need a revolution of thought. One of the things I want to do over the coming weeks and months is I'm going to highlight each and every reason America is exceptional. Because I'm noticing a trend in your politicians and people in your media who go, yeah, sure, America is exceptional. We're exceptional the same way Germany is exceptional and their people are exceptional. And we're the same exceptional as China is exceptional. That's nonsense. It's utter and absolute nonsense. So I'm going to talk to you about each and every reason you're exceptional. But one of the reasons you're exceptional is because today, even to this day in 2016, you're one of the few countries who truly get something, a revolutionary statement, and actually understand what it means. And that statement is in your Declaration of Independence. It's right up at the top. All men are created equal. That is not a thought that is had in many places. Just think about, you know, think about even some of your allies in Britain. How can you say, oh yeah, I believe all men are created equal, but you know, there's the queen, and she's, she, she's the, the sovereign of our country, and she defines who we are. So you're equal with the queen. Well, no, she's the queen. Then you don't believe in real equality. You know, you look at all these politicians, you know, look at Ireland, look at France, look at um, Germany, all these democracies. Oh, okay, so you, we vote you, you get into power, and you can tell us what to do. Howard then, uh, so I'm equal to, to Enda Kenny, who's the, the Prime Minister of Ireland. I'm the equal of Theresa May in England. I'm the equal of Hollande in France. No, 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 they're, they're, they're the president. You're just a person. Oh, okay, so how can you believe we're all created equal then? It doesn't work that way. America's different. America actually understands all men are created equal. 
America is different because you say rights come from God, not from government. Look at the world today that we've created. And I mean the world. And you'll see some of this in America because it's eaten into your culture a bit. But where I come from, we're divided. We're divided and put into little boxes each and every day. And we accept it. I'm going to just list out some of the ways we're divided. And the way we're judged. We're judged on our sex. If you're male, bad. If you're female, good. You know, it's, you know, hey, women power, go get them, girl. But if you're a boy, oh, well, tough luck. I don't see any boy power out there. I don't want that, by the way. I'm not calling for it. But, you know, it's kind of like, hey, we've girl power and we've, uh, boy what? Uh. Look at your race. Oh well, you're a minority. You're 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 good. You're noble. You're white. Huh? You have white privilege. You have white pride. By the way, these might sound familiar to you in America. These happen elsewhere as well. You have a class system. Well, I'm upper class. I'm rich, and uh, I speak like this because I'm posh, and I'm prim, and I'm proper, and I pronounce every word. And I'm only a middle class guy, and I haven't got a clue. And we all look down on the lower class because, well, hey, you know, poor little sods haven't got, a, haven't got any hope. We're judged by our education. Well, I, 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 I got all honours in my... We have a leaving cert over here, A-levels in America, or in England, I don't know what you have in America. But we're judged by it. I went to school, God, how long ago is it now? 14, 15, I, it's a long time ago. I can't tell you what I got on my leaving cert. I could care less. We're judged on our looks. You know, as a as a fine, handsome young man that I am. <laughs> yeah, that is a bit of sarcasm for you on a Saturday morning. Um, I get this. You know, if you don't fit a certain way, you know, we, we, even men do this. You know, if you, you know, I wear a suit and a tie and a shirt. and You only wear a t-shirt. And, and I tend to wear polo necks because I suffer from my co- the cold a lot. Oh, you only wear polo necks and I wear suits and... Oh, do you know how much this suit cost? It it cost a thousand dollars. It's 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 fabulous. You're judged on your family. Where did you come from? You you don't have any say in this, by the way. It's just this is how it is. You're judged on your family. What are your parents like? Are you are you, are you one of those people who comes from oh, a broken family? Oh, you poor person. We judge each other on our religion. I don't have a religion, so I get judged by everyone. It's it's actually quite funny. Um, but I live in Ireland where, you know, you have, you know, just, just take this, because this one really annoys me. The, I call it the Christian purity test. You have Catholics and you have Protestants. Both believe in God. Both claim Jesus Christ to be their saviour. And both believe in scriptures. Yeah, if you talk to a Catholic, they hate Protestants. The worst thing you can do is go to a Protestant church, and the Protestants think the exact same way about Catholics. They both see each other as enemies. It's, it's, I find it... If it wasn't so sad, I'd find it hilariously funny. You're judged by your job. Well, I, I work in an accountancy firm. I'm a solicitor. I'm an accountant. I'm a doctor. Oh, I'm, I work in the local 7-Eleven as a you know, checkout person. Oh, you poor thing. How do you possibly survive life? You're judged by your college. Well, I did a, I did a postgraduate degree in, in uh, you know, how they have all these fancy names. You know, I, I did a postgraduate degree in biology and the human sciences. 
I just did a local degree in the local community college. You have, you're judged on what college you go to. Oh, I went to Harvard. I went to the local community college down the road. Oh, how did you possibly survive? You're judged on your money. You know, how much money did you take down? These are conversations I've heard from, and I've heard this more from my American friends. How much money did you earn last quarter? Oh, oh God, you, you only earned $70,000? I, I earned a million. And it's this competition, it's this rat race. We're judged on our power. You know, and we all do this. You know, well, I, I ha- I'm a manager and I have 20 staff under me. Well, I'm a manager and I have 100 staff under me. We're judged on our possessions. You know, we, we have cars. We have, I have three cars and four cars. I have a second holiday home. And then, of course, we're judged by everybody that wants to, has been discussing recently. What our politics are. What your party is. What way did you vote? Who did you vote for? Did you vote for the, the Republican, the Democrat, the Conservative, the Libertarian, the third party guy in Evan McMullen? How did you vote? This is all man's thinking. This is an opportunity used by man to divide us. Because we see each other as ever who, regardless of whether it's education, whether it's sex, whether it's college, whether it's voting, we see this as an opportunity to divide because we all want to belong to identity camps. But we do this for another reason. We do this as man to have a high moral ground. We like looking down on others. We like condemning others. We like judging others. And we all play along because it makes us feel like we belong. Because we somehow think that, you know, well, if, I, if, if you earn $100,000 a year, and I have earned $100,000 a year, I don't, I wish, um, but we have something in common. If you went to Harvard and I went to Harvard, we have something in common. If I work at the 7-Eleven and you look at the, the local Dunkin' Donuts, we have something in common. If you're good-looking and I'm good-looking, of course, I'm always good-looking. You should see my profile pictures. I, I'm, I, I'm better-looking than Brad Pitt. I'm, I'm not saying, ladies, I'm just saying. But we have something in common. I can totally relate to Brad Pitt, what he's going through right now. Guy's a hunk. But we all play along because it makes us feel like we belong. How many people do you think in those groups actually spend time with other people? And actually know how they feel? So I've got some questions I want to ask you right now. I want to ask a question to the left. To anyone on the left. How many Trump supporters do you know personally? How many Trump supporters do you know personally who were from, with Trump from day one? How many Trump supporters do you know personally that didn't like him but voted for him in the, prime, in the general because Hillary was just that bad or they were worried about the Supreme Court? How many never-Trumpers do you know? Do you know why we believe what we believe? Do you know our position on the Constitution? Do you know our position on the Founding Fathers? Why we love them? Do you know why we believe, which a lot of you are talking about right now, and we'll address that going forward, but why we believe government should be small and limited? Do you know why we believe the individual is key? Do you actually know these? And I don't mean, well, I, I heard someone poll testing these and, and these little focus groups, you know, who have those views. No, I mean, do you actually personally know them? That you can say, that person is a Trump supporter or never Trump, they're my friend. 
and I know them. We disagree on absolutely everything, but they're my friends. I'd ask the right the same question, but I'd flip them. How many people listening here on the right right now actually know a Clinton supporter? What? Did John just say how? Did do who knows a Clinton supporter? Yeah, I did. I'm going to get a lot worse, by the way. How many Bernie supporters do you know? And how how many do you know that you actually know why they believe what they believe? Why the young people? Because we always equate Bernie Sanders and young people, and we then mock them and, and demean them. But actually, why they see the world like they need someone help? Do you ever talk to these people and go, why are you so fascinated with sex and race and all these outside exterior things that a lot of times we can't control and they're never focused on character? Do you ever ask and want to know, and I mean don't ask, I mean ask them and listen, not ask them and then tell them what they should think, but ask them why they don't promote the individual, why they have such a skeptical view of society and man that says, you need help. You need a moral arbiter of society and God isn't good enough. And then listen. How many people know that? How many people are planning right now for Thanksgiving kind of going, oh my God it's Thanksgiving this Thursday and we're going to have Uncle Joe or Andy Betty and they just see things the world the way we do and I just hope we don't have an argument. How many people are feeling that way right now? Or should we have safe spaces for all? Should we put the left in a safe space and should we just push them into it and say, you know what, you're stupid, you're a leftist, you're a moron, you haven't got a clue, you have no principles, just stay there. Which leads me to my next question. Are you willing to fail? Are you willing to fail? What do you mean by that, John? Well, are you willing to fail? Are you willing to make an effort to discuss principles and not people. Because right now, I can guarantee you if, you, if you're from the left and you talk to someone about Trump, and if you're from the right and you talk to someone about Clinton, they're automatically going to get defensive or they're going to get happy, depending on who you supported in the election. I mean, do you want to talk about principles? And are you willing to fail? Are you willing to make that effort? Or do you only want to talk in your safe space? depending on what your political persuasion is, of people who will actually believe what you believe. The aim is not in business, in politics, in life, in religion. The aim of life is not to talk to those who believe what you believe. It's to talk to those who don't believe what you believe and still do business with them. That is the way of life. Are you willing to fail? I am very willing to fail. I will talk to anyone. I will go on any radio show, I will talk to any interview person, and I will talk to you about American exceptional. I don't care what your view is. You could be, I don't know, Jill Stein voter and I'll still talk to you. I don't care. I see everything as an opportunity. You may, I may fail, and I do fail a lot. But I will go anywhere and I will talk about how great America is. And I will warn them of why socialism does not work. But I will listen to them as well and say, what concerns have you got? What can I do to alleviate what you feel? All this division is why we need a revolutionary thought. I've been off for a couple of weeks, so I've been doing a lot of thinking. And I want to share the solution with you. The solution for me is... 
is faith. I was reading history and I was going, when, when is there other times in history that had this, this experience? And the only time I could think of, and if you have thought of another time, please let me know. But I was reading scriptures and I saw the story of Christ. Man's thinking pre-Christ was look down on others. Look down on sinners. Mock them. Judge them. Stone them. Condemn them. You even mocked those at that time who helped them. You know, who sat with them and who were nice to them. That was the human thinking of the day. Oh, oh, you're a Pharisee. Ugh, go away there. Oh, you're a prostitute. Ugh. You're a tax collector. You just stay over there because you're just, you're just the scum of the earth. And then Jesus came along and said, a revolutionary thought, we love everyone. Love your neighbors. He sat with everyone. He was judged for it. But he sat with everyone. He sat with the prostitutes. He sat, sat with the tax collectors. He told, love everyone. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your enemy as you love yourself. The answer is love, not hate. The answer is love, not division. You know, a couple of years ago, when I was reading scriptures, I was always fascinated by a phrase that you all, if you've read scriptures, or any part of it, or even heard of it, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. But I used to always read, now this is about six, seven years ago, I'd read, but you know, you have to warn it, you have to keep wary of your heart hardening. Your heart's hardening. And I always used to go, well, why would this? I get there's division and I get there's hate. And I, and I get that there's you know, terrorists and bad people out there. But why, why is it always about our hearts hardening? I get it now. I get it eight years later. Because I see a lot of people and their hearts, on both sides, hardening. I'll finish up with this. And it's a phrase that, again, you'll know from scriptures. People would say, might say right now, why would I go talk to a Democrat? They just will never get it. They'll just never get it. I, I, could, I could talk to them till I'm blue in the face. They just won't get it, John. Well, I asked you the question I asked you early on. Are you willing to fail? Because in this industry, if you want to make a difference, you're going to fail a lot. But again, scriptures. Jesus, who needs a doctor? Does the well man, the healthy man, the man who knows everything, does he go to the doctor? Or is it the person who needs help? Who needs guidance? Who needs medicine? We need to help show every American, left, right, and in the middle, and on the far left, and on the far right, why America's great. Why you're exceptional. Share your principles, your values. Explain to them your history. We might reach some, we might reach none. But are you willing to fail? I am. I'll be right back, America. Don't go anywhere. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. Experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. 
If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I hope the first segment gave you some food for thought and something for you to think about as as you approach this week of Thanksgiving and how you how you deal with your family and your friends and how you maybe reach out to them. I hope it's, it might have spurred something inside some of you or even one of you just to just to listen. You know, we have two ears and one mouth and as I used to be all as I used to be told as a child and I still am, you know, you should use them in that proportion. I want to move on because I want to talk to you about this is the weeks of this is one of my favorite weeks of the American calendar. You know, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't wish deep down on. I wish I was in America. I wish I was there now. And it always happens each and every day. I wish. I wish I was there. I wish I was in Dallas. I wish I was in New York. You know, when different events happen. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite weeks. Because of the history involved. Not because of what it is today, but of the history. And it's something I've never had the honor yet of. I've actually been in America for Thanksgiving. It's something I hope to correct one day. But I want to just talk to you about the history of Thanksgiving. It's a history you probably, most of you will know very well. But just for me, the story and the history involved is incredible. And I just want to talk to you about it for a few minutes, if you'll indulge me. It's September 1620. And a great ship called the Mayflower leaves Plymouth, England. With a sense of adventure. There are 102 passengers on board. And they're all religious separatists. They're looking for a new land. They're looking for a new opportunity. They're looking to be free. They're looking to be able to worship the way they want to. For 66 days they travel the Atlantic Ocean. And on that morning of the 66th morning they arrive at a place that we now know as Cape Cod. I just ask you to think about that for a minute. Can you imagine spending 66 days on a ship? Can you imagine spending 66 days looking at nothing on a ship? Your fellow brothers and sisters. The blue of the ocean and the blue of the sky and the white of the clouds and nothing else. I think I'd go crazy. Because bear in mind, in 1620, it wasn't as if you had... Oh, I'll just, that's fine, 66 days, I'll just get on my iPhone. And I'll play, you know, Candy Crush or whatever it is kids play today. I'm not hip, I'm sorry. Or I'll just bring my Kindle. 
You know, I just, I'll, I'll just at sixty-six days. That's fine. That's che- I'll, I'll catch up on my reading. Or sixty-six days, I'll, I'll catch up on my scriptures. They didn't really have any of that technology, and books and the printing press wasn't invented yet, and it wasn't common practice for people to have books. It wasn't even common practice for people to have a Bible. Now, we know there was the Mayflower Bible there, but there was one, but you have 102 passengers, so there might be a waiting list. Imagine you arrive in 66 days, you survive the boredom, the... Just imagine being around 102 people for 66 days. Seriously, I, I don't know about you, but if it was... I, I'd probably thump someone. I think I'd be like, oh, just go away and I'll throw you overboard. I mean that in a joke, of course. But just think, you got travel 66 days across the Atlantic Ocean. You get to Cape Cod. And then the captain comes along and says, yeah, you know what? This is not where we're supposed to be. We're, we're way off. We need to get to Massachusetts Bay, and that's going to take another month. How that did not result in a riot? Can you imagine being underwater for 66 days and then someone coming and be like, yeah, we, 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 we're way off where we need to be. You need to be here for another 30 days. How did that not cause a riot? I, I'm, I'm amazed by it. And then they travel in another month and they get to Massachusetts Bay. But by now it's winter and it's a brutal winter. And I, can you imagine being on that boat? So you've traveled 66 days across the Atlantic, you got to Cape Cod, you were told you have to wait, you wait the month, you get to Massachusetts Bay, and then the, you're told, yeah, it's a really bad winter, you're going to have to stay on the ship for all the winter. Most of you are. How that did not end in a riot is beyond me. Most stayed on that ship during that brutal winter. While some went to onto the land when they stayed on ship they were exposed it was cold it was winter it's not like they had hot water bottles and electric blankets some had scurvy some got disease some of those diseases were contagious and spread to other shipmates by the end of that winter over 50% of the passengers had died. Just think about that for a minute. 102 passengers left Plymouth, England. And by the end of that first winter, it was down to about 50. Can you imagine the emotional turmoil that must have had? The pain, the grief, the sorrow. Watching maybe your father or your mother or your brother or your sister or your aunt or your uncle. Or just a friend that you know who you... You know, because you have the same religion. Watching them get scurvy. Or watching them get another disease. Watching them cry in pain and in agony. And then dying. Can you imagine going through that? Those that went aboard shore met with some Native Americans. And they were surprised that one of them spoke English. It was one of the few exchanges between... Europeans and Native Americans that had a harmonious relationship. Just think about it from the Native Americans' point of view. You see the ship coming up, and they dock, and some disembark. What do you do? Are they? Should we go to war with them? 
Should we hate them? Should we try kill them? Should we try rob them? Hmm, they might have some good stuff on that ship. Let's rob them. Let's make ourselves better. Those Native Americans welcomed them. Not only did they welcome welcome them, when springtime came aboard, they showed them and helped them. They showed them how to plant corn. They showed them how to extract sap from the trees. They showed them how to catch fish. And probably most importantly, they showed them how to avoid dangerous, poisonous plants. And the Native Americans and the European settlers from Plymouth, England, they coexisted. And then they went to work of settling their land and and growing it and finding a way to make a home where they settled. And in 1621, they had their first corn harvest. Just think about how we react today. You know, one of the things I love, one of my favorite foods is corn on the cob. It's beautiful. Barbecue it, saute it, boil it, lovely. Tasty, crunchy, beautiful. Add a bit of salt, a bit of melted butter, mmm, yum. We just take yeah, corn on the cob, eh. Wow, congratulations, yeah, it's nice, I'll have it. I'll put it in my freezer and I might have it in a couple of days. Eh. But for these pilgrims it was different because it was their first harvest. Can you imagine transport yourself back to 1620 and you've left England, you've, you've survived the brutal winter, you've crossed the Atlantic, you're now in this new land, you're now free, you have this opportunity, but you need food. Can you imagine the joy on their faces as they watched the corn grow? As they watched those green leaves get bigger and bigger and inside them get thicker and thicker and then you saw the corn that was inside them. Can you imagine the joy? And how did they respond? Well, they have what many consider today, there is some different opinion on this, but let's go with what I believe. They had the first Thanksgiving. They brought the Native Americans. And they had three days of feasts. Because they gave thanks. They gave thanks for the blessings they had received. Fast forward, it's now 1623. And there's a long drought. And you're the pilgrims there and you've settled and just, we're only here two years. There's this drought and if it doesn't rain, our lands won't get the moisture they need and to develop and to grow all the harvest and if we don't have a harvest we're only here a couple of years we'll all die we'll starve but then the drought ended can you imagine how they must have felt when that rain fell think of how we think of rain today oh god it's raining outside i gotta put up an umbrella it's horrible, I, I better, you know, cars might splash me and I you know, better not walk too close to the edge on the sidewalk or it's just an inconvenience, the traffic gets bigger and heavier and it'd take me that bit longer to get home. But to these pilgrims, rain. They must have celebrated, they must have danced for joy. They might have done a rain dance, gone and splashed in the puddles. And again, how do they how do they react when they had this rain, this gift from God? Well, they had a day of fasting and thanksgiving. Can you imagine? This year my boss, Glenn Beck, 
was mocked for calling for a day of fasting and reflection for the election. But in 1623, for a bit of rain, for water, for moisture from the clouds, they said, we need a day of fasting and thanksgiving. Because they knew exactly what that rain meant. Now fast forward to the America. America had declared its independence from Britain. You had just had the Constitution ratified. And you have George Washington. They've won the Revolutionary War. Instead of bragging and being arrogant and being brash about it, what did George Washington do? Well, he called for a day of thanksgiving. I want to read something to you that from his own words, what he said, his thanksgiving proclamation. New York, 3rd of October, 1789. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favour, and whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favours of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peacefully to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Can you imagine any president from Republican or Democrat saying that today? Acknowledging the providence of Almighty God to obey His will and to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly implore His protection and favor. In a world where politicians are my savior and they, they're the only ones who can save us. George Washington said, we need God's protection and favor. It wasn't until 1817, back then when the, the great state of New York, how times have changed, huh? They were one of the first states to adopt an annual Thanksgiving holiday. They celebrated every year, give thanks. But it wasn't that way in the South, and it wasn't that way for a lot of the country. That is until 1863. And of course you know this story. America is now in turmoil. Less than a hundred years after your foundation, after you declared independence from Britain, America is at civil war. You have North versus South, Yankee versus Confederate, White versus Black in some times. You have brother against brother, father against son. It is a brutal and horrific civil war. And in 1863, there was very little advances for either side. One side won a battle, the other side won the next battle. It was an ill-all draw. No side was gaining a significant advantage. On Lincoln's side, on the Yankee side, they had suffered quite a few losses recently. But in 1863, in Washington, D.C., October 3rd, Abraham Lincoln spoke these words and wrote these words. 
The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so consistently enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added which are so extraordinary in nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequal magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all nations, order has been maintained, the laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theatre of military conflict. He went on, and his final line is key. We offer next, last Thursday of November next, as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelt in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such a singular deliverance and blessings, they do also with humble and penance for our national preservedness and disobedience. Commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners and sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently implore the interposition of all the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility and union. These are the words of Abraham Lincoln. Would you hear these words today? You're seeing a theme in the early thanksgiving of a recognition of God. Do you see politicians do that today? Each and every year, the final Thursday in November was considered thanksgiving. It was a day of of actually fasting, of prayer, of reflection, of giving the credit where it is due to its maker. Fast forward to 1939, and of course, American history wouldn't be complete if there wasn't a progressive involved. You see, America started giving thanks for corn, for harvest, for drought, the end of a drought, for the founding of your union, for a peaceful end to the Civil War. But by 1939, this had all been forgotten. FDR was president. And he moved up. He said, you know what, we need need to move up Thanksgiving a week. And was it for some motive? Was it to give thanks? Was it for some religious reason? Was it for some, you know, motive that was noble? Nope. America under a progressive government and FDR, Mr. Internment Camp himself, decided to move up Thanksgiving a week because, well, we're in a Great Depression, folks, and we need that extra week to go shopping. That is why he moved it up. As you can imagine, for some Americans back then who understood the real history of America and Thanksgiving and what it meant and why it is such a special holiday, they were outraged. It didn't last long. In 1941, FDR returned it to the fourth Thursday in November. Fast forward it to 2016. Think of your of those pilgrims and everything they went through. 
why they gave thanks. Think of George Washington. Think of Abraham Lincoln. Think of the great state of New York in 1817 and everything they gave thanks for. And fast forward to 2016 and look at how many of us will act. Do we know what Thanksgiving means? Is it just a day to be around awkward family members and stuff our faces with our turkey and our stuffing and our cranberry sauce? Or more importantly, is it just a day where we're off? We're off work and we're all counting down the days to Cyber Friday or Black Friday and then counting down the days to Cyber Monday. What does Thanksgiving mean to you? i got to take a quick break, America. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I hope that you're enjoying this show so far. The first two segments... One of the things I'm really bad at, um, and thank God I'm not on radio, is segments tend to go long when I get talking. I want to spend the rest of today's show by talking to you about a couple of things. And one, because we're in the spirit of Thanksgiving, and we just spent the last segment sharing the story of Thanksgiving, I just want you to sit back and close your eyes and just sort of think of what you're thankful for. You know, a lot of people think this world sucks. A lot of people think America sucks today. A lot of people are worried about the future. And I I get those feelings and I share some of them. But in many ways, right here, right now, is a time where we've never had it so good. So, I'm going to share what I'm thankful for. But I'm going to put a twist to it as well. And maybe get you thinking about things you might never have thought of before. Naturally, I'm thankful for my family. And my friends. I'm thankful for each and every one of you who listen each and every week. I'm thankful for when you get in touch with me, when you tweet me, when you send me messages, when you email me. I love interacting with you. I'm thankful for my boss, Glenn. I'm thankful for everyone at the Blaze family. I'm blessed to to have many, many friends there. 
and I'm thankful for having this outlet where an Irishman each and every week can come behind a microphone 6,000, 8,000 miles away and say why I love this nation. I'm thankful for people who you have no idea who they are, but the truth is this show wouldn't happen if it wasn't for them. I'm thankful for Brian, for Carl, for Sarah, for Dom, for Jonathan. I'm thankful for the knowledge I have. Whether you agree with me or whether you disagree with me, I'm very thankful for my faith. I'm thankful that an Irishman like me has been woken up and has seen the greatness of America, has seen the greatness of George Washington, has seen the greatness of your people. And that I not only have seen it, but I appreciate it. But I want to take things in a different style, because each and every one of you can say the same thing. But I want to share with you a couple of things I'm thankful for that maybe you don't think about all the time. You know, in this crazy world we live in where we have instant gratification, it's very easy to take things for granted. Let's start with this show. It was only eight years ago where I probably couldn't do this show. You know, you look at all the technology that has come around. Microphones. Internet. Um, places like SoundCloud, like iTunes. Um, platforms like Audacity that I use to use to record this show each and every week. Eight years ago, I probably couldn't do it. It's not that long ago. You know, when that, look around in your house. Look at all the things you have to be thankful for. That you, you use them. And you don't think anything of them. But the time they don't work, you freak out. Think about, in the last segment I shared the story from the 1620s of the pilgrims. Think of all the things we have today that they didn't have. They have, we have light. We have heat. You go into a room now and you just flitch, flip a switch. And you have light. You have internet. You know, it's, it's incredible. You, on an iPad. What you can do on your iPad, or even on your phone. I don't have a phone, I have an iPad, that's what I use. But on your phone, my mother has an iPhone. And the stuff she can do on her iPhone is incredible. She has email on her iPhone. She has... Um, an app to communicate with her sister who's overseas um, she has internet she has a camera she has radio she has video she has apps she can play games she can write she can read her kindle books it's incredible all in a little phone and of course she can ring people and she can text message people we take these for granted in 2016 but it wasn't that long ago where we didn't have any of these I'm thankful for our cars. You know, there are times where, with my work I have to travel quite a quite a distance. That would not be possible a hundred years ago. That's the sad. That is the truth of our world. I'm thankful for social media. You know, it, taking away the email. How would I interact with so many people if I didn't have Facebook and Twitter? Now, I know a lot of people are out there going right now with Twitter and Facebook are fascist. and you, I'm sure you've seen all the stuff that's said about them. But I'm thankful for them because I wouldn't be able to interact with you the way I do. 
I wouldn't be able to share my work the way I do. I wouldn't be able to get messages the way I do and communicate. It's incredible. Just look around the room. I, I have my office, which is half office, half bedroom, and I'm just looking around and look at all the stuff we have that you know we don't take we take for granted. You know, I've built in wardrobes for all my office equipment and for my clothes and and other stuff. I have mirrors. I have a light. I have pictures. I have flags. I have a big desk. I have a couple of computers, a laptop. I have a bed, a comfortable bed. You know, we look, we think right now, well, you have a comfortable bed. That's not something to be thankful for. But it is only 150 years ago, you know, when I, I read stories like from the likes of Booker T. Washington where they slept on straw and on a hard floor. It's incredible how much our world has changed. Even on something we spoke about again earlier in the last segment, you know, when the second Thanksgiving was because a drought ended. They were thankful for rain. How much are we thankful for rain, for the sun, for the atmosphere? How thankful are we for the earth? You know, when you actually look at the the dynamics of this earth, that you have a a piece of soil that can, can grow a plant, can grow a tree, and another piece of earth can you dig down under and there's oil there. And it's oil that we use to, to heat our to heat our houses, drive our cars, get on planes. You have another piece of soil down the road where you could have gold that we all can trade for. It's incredible. But even just the earth. How thankful are we for the earth that it doesn't fly off its axis? You know, we travel a thousand miles an hour as we rotate. We rotate and we rotate and we rotate a thousand miles an hour. It's a miracle we don't fly off our axis and fly deep into space. There is so much to be thankful for. I know things are bad and I know things are tough and I I know things are tricky for some people. There's a lot of tyranny in this world. I speak about it every week. But this week, for me, is not a week to talk about tyranny. This is a week to talk about thanks. Because as bad as we have it, as bad as we have it right now, we are still blessed. We are still lucky and we are still fortunate to have it better than any other generation prior to us. I'll be right back, America. Don't go anywhere. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stew. They've got to milk this thing for as long as they can, right? Right. Unless you have, like, a real decision made. Like, Breaking Bad did, I think, five. And, and I would really say, like, it wouldn't surprise me to see Walking Dead reach that point, too. I think they're close. You know, the comic books kept going, and they're, you know, ongoing. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a forever and ever. But it's got a shelf life. Pat and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. 
As always, I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple, on Facebook at Freedom's Disciple, or if you search my personal account, Jonathan Dunn, send me a friend request. I love interacting with you guys. I want to finish off today's show by starting a new segment. And up until at least Christmas, this will be how the show ends with this segment. The reason in my head, I don't know whether this ever comes across to you, but in my head, I started out today's show the way I did and then I moved on to Thanksgiving. And I mentioned the words, the quotes from both Washington and Lincoln was because one of the deficits I see in society, one of the many deficits I see, is a deficit within our church. I see a lot of people depending on the law of man, depending on man to save them. I believe there is only one saviour, and it isn't a man. I firmly believe, and I have this passion and when I speak to other people publicly and privately about it, I speak a lot about faith and I speak a lot about the Bible. Now there are some people who will be turned off by this. I'm not here to convert you. I don't belong to a religion. I'm a Christian. I don't go to church. I'm not here to say you should be Catholic, you should be Protestant, you should be Baptist, you should be Mormon. I'm not trying to convert you. What I am going to start doing though in this segment is to share the principles from the Gospels, from the life of Jesus. And what I'm going to do is to share them for those that are Christians. Just to share them so that you you get the goodness that comes from them. But also to those who are not believers. I'm not trying to convert you. But I am going to try and share the principles with you. Because the principles are apt whether you believe in Jesus or not, the ones I'm going to share. I'm going to share stories, and I'm going to share meanings with them, with you. And you can decide whether it's relevant or not, especially in today's society. And I want to start today, right at the start, Matthew, in the first chapter and the first verse. You know, scriptures are incredible, if you've read them a lot, a little, some, or you hear them at church. I always find hidden meanings or different meanings when I read them over time. And the part I want to talk to you about today is I want to share something with you that I only found out recently. It just kind of hit me. And it's kind of, there's a principle and a meaning in it that I think you might appreciate. It has, it has helped me. And when you read Matthew, the start of it, it's basically the part I want to talk to you about today is the genealogy of Jesus. And up until about a couple of months ago, this used to bore me. Because it's quite boring, because all it is is names. It starts out with Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah. And it goes on and on and on, and it lists 42 names until it comes to and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, and who was called the Messiah. Up until recently, I used to be very bored by that, because it's in the Bible a couple of times. And I used to go, why is that there? You know, what can I learn from this? All it is is names telling me who the father is and who the son is, and then who the son had to, who, what is, the son had a child and what their name was, and then they had a child and what their name was, and... I was like, there's no meaning in that, because I'm always looking for meaning, for a principle, for something. 
and he used to bore me. And any time I would come up and I, it was part of what I had to read, I'd kind of, eh, I'd flick over it. Yeah, great, and there's another name. And, and also, it's like some of the names are, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know them. You know, they're written about. But there are other names who you never really hear much about ever again. And it's been bored me. Until recently. I was reading it and I was thinking and it was very quiet and I was reflecting on a lot of things and it hit me. And I want to share the meaning of what it hit me. It might This might mean something to you, it might not. But what hit me was... At a certain point in time in history, these men lived. And forget the, the issues of the day. The underlying principles of the challenges they faced were the same as we face today. Each of them faced an evil. Let's just use modern terms. Today we face ISIS. Well... Prior generations faced Russia in the Cold War. Prior generations faced Nazism in Germany. Prior generations to that faced Germany in World War I. Each generation has an issue to deal with. Many of us right now think the issues of today that we face are unique. They're greater than ever before. They're really not. The magnitude might be greater. Might. You're further down a certain road that you might have less options to get off and and to turn things around. You might have that option. But when it comes to facing challenges, what it all boils down to is being a good person. To being the best person you can be. You're not alone in those challenges. Each of those 42 names that is mentioned in the start of Matthew had that challenge. The circumstances of the day were greatly different from one person to the next, but the challenges were still the same. They all faced evil. It all boiled down to how they were going to respond. They all faced challenges in their daily lives, and it was all down to how they were going to respond. Would they do good? Would they be good? Or would they succumb to what society said was acceptable? You know, we talk about... It's not, it's not normally the right, it's normally the right responding to the left in it. But we talk about greed today. The rich man. The rich man, he exploits the poor man. And he gets richer for himself. You think greed is a new thing? Everyone loves around going around talking about greed today as if it is some recent phenomenon. Well, you can be greedy because you have Bitcoin and you have gold and you have silver and you have stocks and you have shares and you have businesses and you have cash. Mm-hmm. You might have more circumstances to be greedy today, but greed is not a new emotion. Greed has been since the times before Christ. It has been around forever. And it will always be around forever. We'll just be greedy for different things. Today it might be money, tomorrow it might be power, or possessions, or a computer program. What struck me about that was, each 
and every generation in the Bible had an issue to deal with. It's kind of like when we spoke about the Mayflower. I'm I'm amazed when I read about your Thanksgiving. I'm amazed by it. Because I look at those 102 pilgrims leaving Plymouth, England to get on a boat to be free for religion. To be a free person. I wonder how many people would risk it all just for that sense of freedom. For that sense of adventure today. I just want to remind you of history. I was doing some research for an outside project not connected to this show. I I do many projects for a few different people. And one of the things I had to research was Ronald Reagan. And something hit me when I was listening to one of his speeches. It's a speech you've all probably heard or you know of. It was pretty much the speech that made him famous. It was in 1964 for Barry Goldwater. It's a time for choosing speech. Everyone has heard all of it, or if not, you haven't heard all of it and you haven't sat down. You've definitely heard some lines from it because it is very often quoted. But back in 1964, Reagan was talking about the threat of the bomb. Today we have the threat of the bomb. It's just the actors have changed. The situation has changed. Back in 64, America was worried about the bomb from the Soviet Union. 2016, it's Israel worried about the bomb in Iran. Things change. Circumstances change. How we deal with them changes. But each and every generation of us will face a challenge. Future generations will face similar challenges. It might be war. It might be poverty. It might be famine. It might be corruption. It might be greed. Or it might be something else. But our lineage continues. And we have to help the next generation... Be prepared to face it. Because here's the truth. We don't know what's going to come in the future. I don't know what's going to happen over the next four years. And anyone who tells you they do, I would question them very hardly. Because the world isn't all a bunch of predictable things. Now you can bet, like let's just look at America, you can make a certain bet and say, you know what, America is going to have some type of economic crisis. 19 plus trillion dollars in the hole, it's highly likely. But that's not certain, that could happen, that mightn't happen for another 20 years. Your economy is not doing great, you're not hiring a lot of people, you're not creating enough jobs, you're not creating enough new wealth. That might help, that might hurt or help a recession which will help economic crisis. But always remember the story of George Bush. When George Bush was sworn in in January 2001, he was sworn in in a totally different world that he would inherit a mere eight months later. The world will change. It all boils down to how each and every one of us deal with it. How each and every one of us react. And quite simply... It boils down to one thing. What defines us? What do we let define us? Does God define us in our actions? Does man define us? Do circumstances define us? Well, you know, I I only acted such a way because it was the circumstances I found myself in. What defines us is an important question.
It's an important question that faced Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, faced Jesus, faced Reagan, faced Washington, faced Lincoln, faces me every day and it'll face you every day. What defines you? I hope this has given you something to think about. You are not alone in the challenges you face. And make sure principles and that you define you, not anyone else. If this show has been of interest to you and has given you some food for thought, please share it with a friend or a family member. It's free. It's available anytime, as you know. We're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, and we're now on Google Play Music. And a show's new show is released every Saturday at noon Eastern. We finish this show the way we always do it here in America. By saluting those who are the real heroes in society. The police, the firefighters, the emergency personnel and your vets. Those who risk freedom 24-7 so we can live our daily lives. And lastly I salute you the great American people. Please never forget that you define who America is by your actions. America is great because Americans are good. And that will only change when Americans stop being good. And please God, that never happens. I hope you, your friends, your family have a wonderful and peaceful Thanksgiving week. Enjoy your turkey, your ham and your stuffing on Thursday. But just take a moment out, if I may be so bold to ask. And just remember what you're thankful for. Until next week, America, God bless. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.